Good morning, friends. Well, let's try it one more time. Good morning. Yeah, sometimes it's good to just get our blood pumping a little bit and, and kind of wake us up. You know, I find there's two kinds of people when there's a time change weekend. Uh, one kind actually stays up later for an extra hour because, you know, it's an extra hour to actually stay up and do stuff. The other kind goes to bed and gets an extra hour of sleep. Sometimes we're, uh, you know, we're split down the middle. But, hey, I just want to say a great big welcome. Thank you, Katie, uh, for giving us some information of things that are, that are happening as well. Uh, welcome. My name is Dave Maxey. I am uh, one of the staff here at Trinity have the privilege of, of being part of overseeing some of our operations, uh, facilities, and ministries, and that kind of stuff that happens here. Uh, just So just welcome. Welcome if you're joining us online as well. Uh, if you haven't taken a moment just to say hi in the chat, make sure to do that. We would love to hear uh, from you as well this morning. Uh, so we are just going to dive right in. Uh, if you're not familiar, we'll bring up to speed. We have been in a series called Exiles, where we are really going through a topical look at the book of Titus. Uh, Titus was a Gentile uh, where Paul actually led Titus to the Lord, and, and Titus eventually became a partner in ministry. And the book of Titus is really, at this point where we're at, is this is Paul's instructions to Titus in regards to leadership in the church. And so what we're really doing is we're, we're looking at Paul's instructions and we're using his, his topics as kind of the springboard to look at topically where, uh, where we will continue in our series today. We're going to be looking at just this idea of humility and what does that look like. Uh, we will be in Titus chapter 1 looking at verse 7. Uh, you can turn there if you have a Bible. You can grab the, uh, the black one in the pew if you need that as well. Again, we'll be looking at Titus chapter 1 verse 7. While you're doing that, will you pray with me this morning? So Father, we just, uh, we just take a breath in this moment. We just, uh, I just thank you for just a few moments of just slowing down and uh, Lord, a value of being attentive to you, Holy Spirit. And so uh, this morning, as we look at your word, uh, we want to hear from you. We want to know uh, what, uh, what you say about us. We want to know who you are. We want to we see you in a deeper revelation. We want to be transformed. And I pray that as we look at your word, you would, you would do that in us, Holy Spirit. Uh, I do pray right now in the authority of Jesus against the enemy. <clears throat> In this time and in this place, uh, I, under your authority, God, we pray against any assignments and, and delays, desires to confuse, to hinder, to distract. We pray against, in Jesus' name, the enemy that would do that. And, and Lord, we, uh, we tell him in Jesus' name not to speak. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak in this place. Lord, let the things that are just of me be forgotten. Holy Spirit, allow your, your word to go deep into our hearts. In your name, amen. Titus chapter 1, verse 7, we'll be looking at the very first part of this text. And here's what Paul says to Titus. He says, for as an overseer, as God's steward must be above reproach, he must not be, and here's the word, arrogant. He must not be Arrogance. As we start this morning, I really want to define this word arrogance. We'll give kind of a practical definition and, and we'll begin to kind of expand from there. But if we were to look at this word arrogant and what it means, we could say that arrogance is to have an exaggerated sense of one's importance or abilities. And I think if you dive a little bit into the word that's specifically uh, in the original language of this text, you'll also find that it means to be self willed or to be stubborn. 
Sometimes we think of that word stubborn. That's not me, that's somebody else a million miles away from here, right? But that word is also unteachable. These are characteristics and qualities of of what uh, Paul is saying to Titus here. Uh, The opposite of arrogance, we could really think, is humility. And when Pastor Marvin asked me a couple weeks ago, hey, would you fill in for the Sunday and, and teach on humility? I said, Marvin, I would be proud to teach on humility. I'd be happy, happy to do that. Uh, maybe, maybe you've heard the quote by Rocky and Bullwinkle. Uh, Bullwinkle says this, when it comes to humility, I am the greatest, right? Sometimes uh, as we think about these things, it's, it's interesting as I find the older I get, uh, many times I realize that the things that God works on me are, are deeper, they're more attitudes and they're more heart things. They're places that are a little harder for me to see. They're less outward and more inward. Um, and sometimes this is one of those spaces where it's easy to overlook and not realize that we might potentially be operating out of arrogance and, and pride and some of the other things. So when Paul is saying, hey, Titus, uh, as you appoint leaders in this local body, let me give you some instructions. You need to find leaders that are not arrogant. You need, to, you need to find leaders that are not prideful people. You need to find leaders that don't see themselves as better than the individuals that they're called to lead. Find people who, who see themselves in the appropriate light and they love and they model Christ, that they're not proud. They're, they're not self-seeking, right? They're not, they're not there to use authority to gain things for themselves, but they're there to love people. Now, as we comb in a little bit deeper to this text and kind of springboard off this, we need to make a, a, a little bit of a nuanced observation here this morning. Paul is not saying, hey, Titus, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go out and find the most elite, best Christians there are out there because those are the people that I need leading this local church. That is not what's happening in this text. Might be easy to read it that way. What Paul's actually saying is, hey, Titus, here's the thing. There are people that have maybe a leadership quality and they profess the name of Jesus, but their life will call them a liar. They profess the name of Jesus, but they're not actually living what they say they believe. So here's what I need you to do. I simply need you to find people who have this leadership calling, this this shepherding quality. They are individuals who claim the name of Christ and they live it with their lives as well. This should be true of every believer. So as we look at this text, it could be tempting to say, well, you know, Dave, this is really talking about elders and leaders in the church, and and maybe that's not me, so I can kind of, I can check out today. That is not the case. Uh, We are all included in this text here this morning. So I would say it like this. Here is the big idea. It's relatively simple. A Christ follower should not be arrogant. We can pack it up, go home, grab the pot roast that's been crock pot, and we're good to go today, right? A Christ follower should not be arrogant. I should not be arrogant. I should not be prideful. I should not think more of myself than I ought to. You should not be arrogant. You should not think that you are better than another person for any reason whatsoever in understanding that that we should not be arrogant. We should not be prideful. The Christ follower should be the humblest of people because the grace that we've been poured out and the mercy that we do not deserve. Another word that, as we've said, you've heard me say this a couple times already, arrogant, we could say prideful. Uh, we could say a couple different things. We'll take this even a step further when we're, we're talking about arrogance and pride. Uh, these are really interchangeable. I think I would say it like this, that one of the most prominent fruits that grows from the tree of pride in our culture today is entitlement. 
And this is where it starts to get a little bit closer to home. And so as we talk this morning, as we, as we give this definition, when we say entitlement, when we say pride, when we say arrogance, we're all talking about the same space in the same area. I'm gonna be using some of those words interchangeably. If I'm a person who is entitled, then I tend to look through a life, uh, live through a lens where others are on this planet for the sole purpose of my own happiness. That's what entitlement does, right? So I I look at other people and I think, okay, I, I deserve to be happy. Why? Well, because I'm me. Right? That's the only qualification. When you're me, you deserve to be happy. Uh, when, when you look at other people around you, they're on this planet to make me happy. And usually that means that I get to decide what I want and what I want now. That means that I get to decide what is good and what is best for me. And uh, that means that I get to, to look at other people in the way that they would provide those things for me. And I don't know about you, but if I'm, if I'm really honest and look at my own life, uh, this, this is an area that has been a lifelong, um, both a struggle and, and a process for me, that I'm, I'm constantly seeing areas where uh, we'll talk about how we get there, where God begins to reveal struggles of, of pride in my life and in areas where I am, I'm thinking of myself more than I should. You know, I was thinking back two years ago, I'm a little older today, but in my early teens, 13, 14, somewhere around there, I kind of discovered that I was just always interested in how things worked, right? I was the kid that took apart every toy he had at some point just to see what it looked like on the inside and how things were put together. I was actually excited when things broke because then I knew I could take it apart, try and fix it, and I likely would not get in trouble at that point. Uh, And that kind of desire sparked into as I started experiencing technology. Now, I'm old enough to remember when Al Gore invented the internet, it's not true, by the way, but uh, when the internet actually came, came about, I'm old enough to remember that. And, and this kind of spilled over in the technology range for me. I remember the day when I discovered my dad's Citizens Band CB radio. It was this giant base station. And I, I just, the days before cell phone, I was completely enamored at the idea that I could have a conversation through the air to another person that could be miles away. And I remember just for hours, I would set this, this radio up and I had an external antenna and I would always put longer cables on it and try and get that that antenna as high as I could and sometimes the weather would be just right and I would talk for miles and miles always trying different microphones always trying to just figure out how I could use my breaker 190 you got a copy on this come on back truckers and talk to teddy bear language right this was kind of what I did in those days and uh, I think that last part was like a red sovine song I got a little carried away there not CB language <clears throat> but as I was as I was uh, you know just in the season of learning technology my parents and I decided just to go for a road trip for a day. It was just my dad, just my mom. Uh, We hopped in our 1967 Chevrolet truck, which is an antique in those days, and headed off down the road. And about halfway, decided just to take a little break at a department store. And as we're walking through the store, there I see it on the shelf, a Motorola 40-channel, 12-volt portable magnetic antenna CB radio. And I knew in that moment that every problem I ever had would be solved if I could just own this CB radio. And so like a, like a person who's been told you could be a lawyer someday, I started in on my case to my mom. Mom, like if I could just have this, it would be so much better than dad's CB radio, right? We could talk so much further. Mom, if I had this and we set it up in the truck right now, if the truck broke down, it's old, right? Like we would be able to call someone again before the days of cell phone. Uh, mom, if I had this and I could talk to people on the other side, I could even tell them about Jesus, right? 
and I began to plead my case. She eventually gave in, bought the radio. We get out to the truck, and I begin to set this thing up and, and, and begin to connect things and hook the microphone into the dash and, and the magnetic antenna on the roof and run the wire inside and, and got to the point where it was time to connect power, and I realized it didn't have a connector on the end. It just had two simple wires, one black and one red. How hard could that be? I began to convince my dad, just go ahead and pop the hood. I know exactly where these wires go. Uh, the truck always had tools in it. We were always fixing something. So I grabbed a wrench. Dad popped the hood. I ran the wires in, quickly connected them directly to the battery and, and uh, you know, bolted them down real good so they wouldn't come off. And then uh, hopped inside and hit the power button. And to my disappointment, nothing happened on the radio. And I'm kind of playing with things and what's going on and trying to mess with the microphone. It was just completely dead. Eventually, it was time to go. Mom said, hey, we don't have time to mess with this anymore. We have to head off down the road. So we take off down the road, and I'm kind of getting upset. And, and I'm just, my, you know, my frustrations turn into anger. And, and I'm just thinking, what is happening here? And just about a couple miles down the road, I notice that there's smoke coming underneath the hood. My dad noticed it pretty quick, and it began to get bigger and bigger, and he pulls over, and, and he jumps out of one side, pops the hood. I jump out of the other quickly to find. Uh, we look down, and I see the wires that I had connected to the battery and how they were melted, and smoke was, was quickly coming out of them. And in one split second, my dad reacted, and he grabbed the red wire and just ripped it off the battery. And I looked down at his hand to see the mark of the wire had burned the flesh right onto his hand. Uh, he didn't say a word. Uh, he just hopped in the truck and he grabbed a rag that was laying on the floor, wrapped it. Mom wanted to know what, what happened. I kind of explained, well, apparently I hooked the wires up wrong. I was still frustrated, like I can't talk on the radio. And you would think in that moment that young Dave would have said, Dad, I'm sorry for melting your flesh. That is not what was going through my head at that moment. We started off down the road. And just in that moment, I said, well, am I ever going to get to play this radio? Like, when, I, when can I use the radio? And this was back in the days when you could beat your children. We called it discipline and you didn't go to jail. And so very quickly, I got the backhand of discipline from my mother, having said, do you not even care that your dad has been hurt and all you want is your radio? In that moment, I was not concerned about the pain of my father. I wanted what I wanted and I wanted it right then. This is what pride does. This is what entitlement does. And I wrote it down this way. Pride will use other people to love things. Humility will use things to love people. Paul begins to give us a little bit more instruction. He dives a little bit deeper as we look at this idea of pride, entitlement. Uh, we're talking about arrogance here this morning, and we're looking at Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. And he dives a little deeper in verse 3 in this very first part, and he says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Let's pause there for a moment. Scripture says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Conceit or conceited, puffed up, comes from our same word here. Do nothing. Are there anything in this world, is there anything that you and I should do from selfish ambition or conceit? No. Paul says, do nothing. Not, not do most things, or if you're having a good day, it, you know, give it your best shot, or do some things. What kinds of things are okay to do from selfishness or, or, or conceit or selfish ambition? Absolutely nothing. And he goes on to say, here's what I need you to do instead. Beginning part or middle part of verse 3. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. 
in verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And here's where we begin to see a little bit more clarity. One clarity I'll point out here is in verse 4. He says, let each of you look not only to his own interests. Humility is not false humility. Humility is not, woe is me, nobody likes me, I'm never going to have a friend, so if I'm really humble, it means I do without everything, I don't even meet my own needs. That's, that's false humility. That's the, the other side of the same coin. Paul says, you know what, take care of your own needs, but in doing that, make sure that you're also taking care of the needs and the interests of others as well. So this is not a, uh, I just beat myself up, and, and this is not a, a, a degradation of myself. That's not humility, that's actually false humility. And so as we, as we look at the other side of this, the other side is, but count others more significant than yourselves. Now we see the door open up a little bit more regarding arrogance, pride, entitlement. These are attitudes that affect those around us, whether we realize it or not. That exaggerated perspective of oneself uh, often is really a comparison to other people. And this is another side as we dive a little bit deeper. I love what Brian uh, taught us last week. And it's just the idea of often we look at uh, other people with a microscope and we look at ourselves with a telescope, right? We, we often tend to think, well, that, that's someone else's issue. Uh, and, and really it's this idea that, that pride many times is a comparison to another person. Think of it like this, Jesus used illustrations all the time, so we're just gonna, we're gonna pretend here this morning. Let's just say that in this place, you found out today that Dave had a rich uncle that passed away. I'm a bajillionaire, not even a word, I get it. But let's say we're gonna have an Oprah Winfrey moment this morning, and under every one of your seats is a check for $10,000. That's not what's happening. I'm sorry for those of you that are reaching underneath your pew. But just for sake of illustration, if you said that, like, hey, Dave, like, I showed up to church an hour early because of the time change, and now I got a check for $10,000, raise your hand if you'd say, hey, it's been a pretty good day. Raise your hand if that would be you. Yeah. So as the story goes in this land of make-believe, of righteousness that we're pretending, let's just say you went out, you spent all week trying to figure out what am I going to do with this $10,000. You come back into the building next week. Uh, you just begin to talk to people. Oh, wasn't that awesome? We got $10,000. Uh, it was great. And, uh, and uh, one of your friends says, $10,000, where did that come? Oh, in service. You know, remember when Dave was there? Oh, 10000 huh? Well, I was at the 915 service and we got 25000 It's that little piece of you that says, wait a minute, I didn't get $25,000. Now, never mind the fact that we all woke up this morning in this land of make-believe deserving nothing, and we came out ahead with thousands of dollars, right? It's that little piece of us that says, wait a minute, uh, I should have got $25,000 too. I deserve that too, even though we did nothing in this story. This is, this is really the other comparison of pride. Uh, I love this C.S. Lewis quote uh, from Mere Christianity. He says it like this. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next person. This is that other, that other space of pride, right? And these, look, let's just be honest. We all wrestle in some capacity with some form of this. Really, back in the Garden of Eden, this is where the whole thing started. Eventually, we said, hey, God, guess what? My view of myself is greater than yours. I can be my own God. That's that arrogance. And so I don't need you. I'm going I'm to eat from this tree. We're all doing that in one fashion or another. We're all in the same boat here this morning. So my next question would be this. Why should I even care about being arrogant? 
I mean, come on, Dave, like, look around. Like, if, if, if I'm not bold in what I want, I will never get anywhere in this life. Like, if I don't physically, I'm not, I'm not physically hurting someone, but if I, don't, if I don't push my way to the front, I'm never going to get anything, right? The, the things of this world are right for the taking, the bold take it, right? And uh, if, if, I, if I just understand that this is the way the world works, I'm not murdering one, I'm not killing anyone, like, this has got to be okay, right? And, and even though this statement is true, I would say it like this, it's true in this world. It's just not true in this kingdom of God. Proverbs 16, verse 18 says it like this. And again, why should I even care about being arrogant? Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pushing our way to the top by standing on other people is maybe a recipe for success in this world, but it's a recipe for kingdom failure at the same time. It doesn't model Jesus. It does quite the opposite. Even it brings temporary success in this world. Living from arrogance and pride is also a formula that invites God to, to oppose our plans. Look at James chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives more grace... Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but if I had a choice where God would be on my side and for me versus God being against me, I would much rather have God for me. And scripture tells us that there's a character and a nature and there's a quality of pride that allows God and and pushes in the sense that brings God to a place where he's opposing our plans and our purposes. And for the rest of our time this morning, I really just want to unpack two questions in regard to this area, this space, pride, arrogance, uh, entitlement. The two questions are this, how do I know if I'm arrogant or prideful? And number two, how do I avoid living from arrogance or pride? So question number one, how do I know if I'm arrogant or prideful? Here's the hard truth, are you ready? It's easier for someone else to see my pride than it is for me to see it in myself. How do I know if I'm prideful? We start by listening to those around us who love us most and have our best interests in mind. The thing about arrogance or pride is that we often tend to think that we're fine and everyone else is just wrong, right? We, we often tend to think, well, if people would just do what I say, things would go much smoother. You know, I joke all the time that uh, my wife and I have been married uh, many years now, and in our early years of marriage, there was this time where I, I just had to tell her, like, eventually you're going to learn that I'm always right, right? When, you, when she learns I'm always right, then things will go smoother. That is a joke, okay? Just understand that. I know I'm not always right, uh, but that's what pride says, right? But we start by listening to those who love us, that have our best interests in mind when they begin to uncover spaces in our heart that we may not have even seen ourselves, The thing about arrogance or pride is it's difficult for us to see it sometimes. Don't believe me? Uh, How many times in the course of this message up until this point have you thought to yourself, man, I wish so-and-so were here. They really need to hear this, right? Right? This is that space in our heart where we tend to to direct what needs fixed towards someone else. Uh, It's easier to see in someone else's heart than it is our own. Uh, Years ago, I used to have a a four-door Plymouth Horizon, a little four-speed stick, got great gas mileage, so I would always kind of push it and just see how far I could go. And there was one day where I I was just running on fumes. I was headed to work, and I I just had to get an intersection. In this intersection, I was a couple cars from a stop sign, and then the uh, the gas station was just kitty-corner to 
to where I was at. And so I got to the intersection. I just made it, and the car died. No problem. We'll start it up again. I, I hit the gas. It did start up again, but now I'm, I'm the second car in line. Eventually, car dies. Completely wouldn't start. I'm sitting here at this intersection. I can see the gas station. And so I simply just said, all right, this is what we got to do. I open the door, and I begin pushing my car to the gas station. Uh, not too far from there. I kind of get it up the hill. I'm kind of steering with one hand and giving it everything I've got, right? Uh, I get it up there. The, the hill's got just this little incline, and so I knew I couldn't stop. I, I make it up the incline, and I see, I think it was gas pump number four. I just had to turn around to gas pump number four. Good to go. We could be on my way. And so as I'm pushing my car, I'm turning it around and, and turning left into this gas pump. A young lady in another car just slides right in and tries to pull into that same pump. And she gives me the like, you know how you do when you're, you know, you're not actually using words. You just kind of do them all these them. And I'm like, lady, I'm pushing my car. And, and she's just, well, bah, I, was, I had that pump. And she kind of gave me one of these things and backed out and turned around. And I eventually was able to get gas. But here's the thing. We often can see pride in someone else before we see it in ourselves. It's far easier to see. It's, it's important. That's why we talk about community here at Trinity. And I, I will say this, COVID has done a few things. If we, if we have to talk about kind of the elephant in the room, one of the things that I think is good that has come from COVID is, is hopefully it, it brought us to moments where you begin to see what is most important, at least for me, what is most important in life. Uh, I'm 46 years old right now. I had a moment the other day where uh, I'm not the best at math, but another 46 years from now, I'll be, I'll be about 92 if I got that right. And the moment was this, I'm probably closer to my death now than I am my birth. Super encouraging, right? <clears throat> but here's, here's the epiphany for me. I don't want to waste the latter half of my life. I want to know what God wants me to do. I want to do what is most important. And here's what I've learned, particularly as we look at COVID, that it's less about the things and the accomplishments that I've done and the people that I'm walking with. You may have heard that like, hey, we, we can't take anything to heaven when we go. I disagree with that statement. I believe we can take those who we led to Christ along the way with us. And as we look at, at this whole area of pride and, and just like, what, what do I look like? We need to be in community with other people that love us, that are willing to, to really open the door of our own hearts and, and allow us to begin to let the Holy Spirit transform places that we just might not be seeing. It's important to be in community in order for that to happen. So we'll dive a little bit deeper into that thought in just a minute, but Question number two, how do I avoid living from arrogance or pride? Uh, just as we said, number one, live in intentional community and relationship with others. I want to explain as we talk about community, what do we mean by that? Uh, I, I love us all here. I, I'm glad that we're here in church today, but let's be honest and real here this morning. Um, I've had conversations with some that are like, yeah, I'm in community because I say hi to them in the grocery store, usually at least once a week. Or I am in community because we have been in, uh, in the same study for the last X amount of years together, and we could tell you everything there is about Romans. I have no clue what's happening in their life, but I'm in community. I'm in community because this is my pew that I sit in every Sunday, and they sit over there and we wave at one another. And those things are, are great. Those things have place, but those things stop shy of what I would say community is uh, as we look at it in the context of Scripture. Community is having people you regularly engage in authentic relationship that specifically empower you to take the next step toward Christ. 
I love this beautiful picture as we look at scripture in Matthew chapter 16. We won't read the whole story, but here's the, the concept. And Jesus had, had began to gather the disciples. The, the 12 were finally to the place where they understood that they were following God. And Jesus begins to unpack what was going to unfold. Here's the idea, gentlemen. Uh, we're gonna go into Jerusalem. Eventually I will be crucified. Uh, they will eventually take me to the cross. And then here's Peter. What does Peter do? Peter goes to God and says, look, you're wrong, Jesus. This is never going to happen to you. To which Jesus replies, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. You're a roadblock to me. Now, when we, we look at that story and hear that story, we, we can see grace and all kinds of things in that story. One of the things that I see in that story is the fact that Peter had such an intimate relationship with the God of the universe, he felt freedom to actually try to correct him. Not only that, Jesus was able out of a relationship to say, look, you're, you're acting like the devil. You are a hindrance. The devil is using you right now. And get this, do we have people in our life who they can call us a liar? We can call them the devil. And together, we love one another to change the world still. That's community. Those are the places, as, as a little bit ago, Katie talked about, just the reminder from Jack, like, who's your 3 a.m. list? This is what we're talking about is community. I have a few people uh, in my life, we, we've kind of developed some internal language. Uh, one person that, that uh, whether it's a text or in person, we often ask one another, hey, um, you know, how, how's your thought life? Like, wh what's happening in your, in your brain here? Like, what are those spaces where maybe you're focusing on, on something a little bit too much? And often we'll, we'll text one another and we'll just say, hey, what's happening? How, how's your thinker doing? What, are there anything I can pray with you about? And there's, there's some places in me, I'm a thinker, and this, this person knows that uh, there's, there's just some struggles that I have. And they remind me often when I'm in those places of just processing things that are not God, that are not healthy, and, and worried and, and fears, all those things. They remind me of who God says I am, and I do the same to them. This is, this is community. Number two, how, how do we repent? How do we, how do we not live in arrogance and pride? Don't expect microwavable spiritual transformation. You know, simply put, becoming more like Jesus is a lifelong process, and that is okay. Jesus did not go to the cross for a cleaner, better, perfect version of you. He went to the cross for you where you are right now. And it is his righteousness and his right standing before God that he offers to those that would repent and believe. And so on one sense, we are absolutely transformed in an instant when, when the spirit of God brings our heart from death to life. The Bible tells us that we are seated with the, at the right hand of, of Jesus. And that is absolutely true. And in the same sense, parallel to that truth, we live in this broken world. We live in this imperfect body. We have this imperfect mind. And so in one sense, we are saved and we are being saved in the sense of, the Bible would call this word, big, big word, sanctification. The process of becoming more like Jesus is lifelong. Even though positionally we are seated at the right hand of God, the Father views us in the same way he views Jesus. That is true. Our minds are still being renewed moment by moment as we live on this earth. So don't expect microwavable spiritual transformation. I had someone in the, uh, the first service mention, yeah, you're right, Dave, it's more like crockpot transformation. That's absolutely true, right? Right? 
so as we talk about this idea of how do I, how do I live free from this, there's one last area we'll spend uh, kind of the remainder of our time with, and that's this. I think one of the best ways that you and I can be free from uh, really living out of this, this uh, pride and arrogance in the space that we all have a prone tendency to do, it's through practicing daily rhythms of identity reminders. And, you know, this is a place, if I'm honest, I think I've seen the most fruit in my own life here. And I'll explain what, I, what do I mean by daily rhythms. Uh, first of all, rhythms that remind us of who God is, what God has done, who he says we are. Those three things inform how I am to respond to him. So if I have a pattern in my life where my, my rhythms remind me of what's broken in this world, who did not do what they were supposed to do, the fact that I have no clue what tomorrow brings, and I live out of that identity, that's gonna form the way I think, the things I do, the way I behave to one another, as opposed to the opposite of this. When we're talking about the idea of daily rhythms, identity reminders is who does the Father say I am? So for me, this starts with just a rhythm of, of being in the Word, because that is God's revelation of who He is and what He's done for me. It's not just a simple blueprint for how I'm to live life in, in a morality plan. That's, that's not what scripture is. It's God's revelation of himself. And so as I, as I spend rhythms of, of reading God's word and, and taking time in prayer, our soul needs this. And I think this is probably why for most of us, this is one of the largest struggles that we have. Because this is the place where on a regular basis, if I'm, if I'm reminding myself of things that are not true, I begin to live out of those versus the things that scripture says. But I would say this, an identity reminder is anything that resets our perspective or posture that can remind us of who God is, what he's done, and who he says that we are. Again, this informs us of how we are able to respond to him. These things help, help us pull away from being entitled, from, from pride, from arrogance, and move into the space of humility. Anything that is a reminder, it could be a song, it could be listening to a podcast, watching a movie or, or a show. You know, I, I would highly recommend if you haven't watched the new show, The Chosen, there's some great visual and just a, a great way to maybe open up a, a creative space for you to see Jesus in a way that maybe you haven't before. There are lots of different things that it might be for you going out in, a, in just a, a walk in nature somewhere and just resetting the things that you're focusing on so that the, the Lord can speak to you. Great Bible reading plans. There's, there's amazing apps that are out there uh, that help kind of reshape a pattern. Uh, apps like Dwell that, that are uh, a Bible plan where there's Audible and they'll, they'll read that there. There's Lectio 365, going on spiritual treats. We could make a list of on and on and on, but anything that works for you that will help reset your posture and remind you of who God is, what he's done for you, who he says you are, will help you respond in the way that he calls us to. All these things give us right perspective of ourselves by having a right perspective of God. So as we kind of land the plane this morning, I want to talk really about two contrasting things. When we speak of entitlement, I think one of the number one reasons we often drift kind of into this land of entitlement is because we forget who God is. We forget what we deserve and often forget what we've received. So uh, in just a moment, I've asked the worship team to come out and they're gonna lead us in a, in a song that I love just the articulate way that this song paints a beautiful picture of gospel and, and, and these answers to who God is, what he's done. And before we get there, I just wanna go through a list. The first question is what, what do we really deserve? 
God is our maker, perfect, holy creator. We have simply chosen to be our own God. We, we've rebelled against him. The Bible says he's perfect and holy. He makes the rules. He's the creator. We've rebelled against the creator. Because of that, what do we deserve? First of all, Romans 6.23, we deserve death. We justfully deserve to be in bondage to our sin. That's what we've earned. We deserve the hopelessness that death brings to an eternal punishment in a literal lake of fire. This is what we would all deserve. We deserve to be disowned as orphans, to be cast aside. We deserve an eternal separation from our creator, from our maker. And then, you know, if I read that list and you thought to yourself, Dave, that's great, but none of that applies to me. That's pride talking. In John 1 verse 8, it says, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, that's what we deserve. What have we received? In place of death, we receive, for those that repent and believe, the free gift of eternal life. In place of bondage to sin, we receive freedom from sin. We see that in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, where scripture tells us it was for freedom that we have been set free. In place of hopelessness, we receive hope, hope that can actually grieve in a different way on this planet, hope that can look forward to, to a new and a restored person, a new and restored future, a new and restored kingdom come upon this earth. In place of separation from God, he has given us his spirit to live within us. We are not alone. In place of abandonment, we have received adoption as sons and daughters. <clears throat> you know, I wrote it down like this. <clears throat> Sometimes we kind of have these mindsets where when we let guilt and shame come into our life, we kind of we think in ways and, and down this pride circle, we're focusing on ourselves. But Jesus didn't just bail you and I out of spiritual jail. He paid your fine, made full restitution on your behalf. He made a home for you in his palace, adopted you into his family. He's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. we receive for those that believe what we don't deserve. The deeper we understand that posture, the more humility rises up. We're gonna sing a song. We're gonna receive communion together in a moment. Communion is a remembrance. It's a time of remembrance. If you're here this morning and you would say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a believer, I'm a Christ follower, this time is for you. We're gonna, we're gonna take a, a time to just meditate on the words and the lyrics of the song because I think it's a resetting posture for us here this morning. Let me read the chorus about what we're, we're about to sing. And the song is called A Love That Remains. And here's the chorus. I love these words. When I was in need, you sought after me. When I turned away, your love never changed. You paid off my debt. You gave me your rest. You washed off my weary feet, prepared a feast, saved me a seat, brought out your best for me. This is a reminder of what Jesus has done for anyone who would believe, who would turn away from their sin and turn toward him knowing that I can't fix my sin problem. Jesus did it on my behalf. So when I turn to him, forgive me, Lord. 
The Bible says he gives us, he clothes us in his righteousness, his right standing. So in just a moment, we will receive communion together. But I want to invite you as we sing this song, it's new, it may not be completely familiar, that's okay. This is a time to hear from the Lord, do business with the Lord this morning. Maybe you'll stand, maybe you'll stay seated, maybe you'll kneel. None of that is, is, is really a hang up this morning. I want you just to listen to the words of the song. If, if you feel like singing, great. But let this be a reminder of who God is and what he's done for us and who he says you are.
as we receive this reminder here this morning. Scripture says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Can we receive the bread this morning? In the same way, also he took the cup. And after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This, or do this, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's receive this morning. Father, we just say thank you. Holy Spirit, would you feel fresh and new with new identity this morning? We want you. We want to look like you in gratitude. We want to respond to you, not an obligation or religion. And so God, as we have just reminded ourselves, Holy Spirit, would you go deeper in our hearts? Would you would you empower us to repent of pride and self-seeking and entitlement? Would you grant to us humility that looks like you? You always come running out to us. When we ran away, when we squandered all that you've given, you stand with a smile and you reach out and you run out to us. Would you run out to us new today? Thank you for filling the gap that we could not fill, Jesus. Father, thank you for a new identity. We are your sons and your daughters. And anyone that would confess and believe is the same. We love you, Lord. We will uh, continue to have prayer for, uh, for anyone that feels led in that. We'll, we'll be here down at the altar. We just want to say thank you for coming this morning. You are released. You always come running.